Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. In today's sermon, um, I will share with you a little bit about what we should think or do when it seems like there is no way. I want to talk to you about a God that sees you and cares. I want to talk about a God today whose character is such that he has surprised us time and again. How many testimonies are in our church family about brothers and sisters that thought there was no hope for their life and God gave them hope. I realize that there are moments in our in seasons in our journey where we look up and think that God cannot redeem the mess that we're walking through, the news that we just got, what we're facing in the next few weeks. And in this passage in 2 Kings, I want to shine a light on the God that sees, the God that cares, the God that can reverse fates in an instant. This is a passage about a city that thought they were on death's door, beyond help, beyond hope. So turn with me to chapter 6 of 2 Kings. I'm going to try to move quickly through the sermon for time's sake. I'm going to sort of focus on a group of characters. I'm going to, I want to introduce to a, a woman with no hope. I'm going to introduce to a king that makes wars. And I'm going to introduce to a messenger with no faith. And I'm going to show you four lepers with some good news. And I hope that as we unpack the sermon, my brothers, my sisters, my church family, that we will walk out those doors undaunted, that we'll walk out those doors full of faith, ready to follow Jesus. So here we go. Chapter 6, verse 24. Sometimes later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. That's the capital city for the ten tribes of Israel. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of pod seeds, or some of your Bible said dove dung, for five shekels. Bottom line, they'd been under siege in the city so long that they were starving to death. So much that they would buy an unclean animal like a donkey's head for a month's wages or four months' wages. Like the, the price of staying alive had gotten so... There are stories in the ancient world from Babylon or from Jerusalem about this, the situation under siege. When people begin to starve so much that they eat the leather on their shoes, they chew the leather on their shield, they eat the rotten straw on the end of the broom. And the worst, the worst case, the worst story is the one I'm about to read to you. Now you got you to know before I read this passage, I, I mean, it's almost like, hey, let's dismiss the kids because this is pretty gross. I'm kidding. We're not. I've got nowhere to send them. This is pretty rough. But I need you to know these people were starving to death. Let me read this to you. Verse 26. As the king of Israel was passing on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. In Hebrew, the word help me is the same as deliver or save. Save me, king. Bless his heart, he can't save. I'm here to tell you in the sermon that God can, but he can't. And I need us to shift our focus to look at God and not people. I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds like, sounds like somebody from like the space station calling us. Yep, yes, I agree. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried, help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, because it was empty. From the wine press, 
because it was empty. And then he asked her, what's the matter? So the king basically looks and says, I, I can't help you. If, if God doesn't do something, I, I can't help you. I don't have any strength. I can't meet your needs. What am I going to get anything? But he's the judge of Israel. And every, Israel, every Israelite citizen has a right to petition him. So he, he, puts on, he puts on his big boy hat, his judge hat. He looks at her and says, okay, I'm fi- that's fine. I'm here to hear your complaint. What, what crime has been done against you? Let's just take a minute and pretend everything's normal and I'm a judge again. What, what can I do for you, ma'am? Y'all buckle your seatbelt. This is terrible. She said, this woman said to me, give up your son so that we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. Starving to death. So we cooked my son and ate him. And the next day I said to her, give up, give up your son so that we may eat him. But she had hidden him. Turns out the king's reaction is the same as yours and the same as mine. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. Y'all, this was a wake-up call for this brother. He'd led his nation to war. He'd led his nation far from God. And when he heard this woman, she's not complaining because we ate her son yesterday. She's complaining because today you won't let me eat your son. This woman had become so conditioned, so hopeless to the broken world she lived in. And when she said these words out loud, it woke him up and he tore his clothes. As he went along the wall, people looked and they saw that under his robes, he had sackcloth on his body. He looked like he was fine, but when he tore his robes, you could see on the inside he'd been grieving. He'd been remorseful before God. He just didn't know what to do. In the privacy of the king's chamber, he'd been desperate, hopeless. But he puts, on his, he puts on his dress clothes every day and acts like things are fine. How many of you are acting like everything's fine, but on the inside, man, you are in sackcloth, you are dying. He said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Wait, why are you going to kill Elisha? Because you're mad. Because when you, can't, when you can't do anything about it, you're just going to blame. How many of you have ever projected blame onto whoever was close So he's mad at God, and the closest he can get to God is Elisha, God's prophet. So he says, Dad, gummit, it's gotten this bad. I'm going to go kill Elisha. Why wouldn't he just repent himself? Why doesn't he just take responsibility for how he's led the nation? Well, let's let's track the story. So you know that in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel abandoned their God. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, they said, we want a king. And I want to read the words from Israel. I want you to hear with me in verse 18 of chapter 8, 1 Samuel. Listen for the words about warfare and armies. When that day comes, you'll cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. They want a king at the head of their army. And when Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen, give him a king. He did. I just need you to know that the God in this passage is a God who had been rejected. A God that the people looked up and said, no, 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 we don't want you. We want a king and an army like every nation. And that's what they got. They got a king. Now they're like the other nations. They got a king. They got an army. They they make war. You know what kings do? They make war in their world. 
They want wealth and testing borders and boundaries. They conscript their army and they make their name great. Well, you've got your great king. How's it going? Right now we're pinned down and starving to death. That's how it's going. How many of you have wanted to be just like our neighbors? You want to be just like the world, so you adopted the world system of living. And as a result, you think like and act like the rest of the world. And brother and sister, now you're broken and starving. And you wish you could make God your king again. Well, you can. That's the good news. So let's track the characters. I want to show you a woman with no hope. I mean, this lady is suffering. And this lady is suffering with no hope because some leader above her has made terrible decisions. And now she's stuck. But here's what I need you to see. This woman has become so acclimated to the broken world that she lives in, that she's not mad that you ate her baby yesterday. She's just mad that she can't eat yours today. That is sick. And it is sick. How many of you have ever thought things that in your mind you said, how could I think that? How many of us in moments when we were living in our flesh and our passions, when we were acting like the rest of the world, we were amazed at how low we could go. I have been. Probably you too. This woman has no hope from where she sees. She can't imagine a rescue. All she knows to do is to turn to the king and say, will you save me? Brothers and sisters, if you're in a worldly mindset and far from God, if you can't see any hope and you're living like the rest of the world, please step out of her footprint. You don't have to be this woman with no hope. I want to show you a king that's busy making war. This guy knows that he cannot save. Underneath his dress clothes, he's in sackcloth, but nobody's been able to see it until today. But he just got a wake-up call that his leadership, that his dependence on strength and power and status and honor, that his determination to make his name great has broken his people. There is no leader that wants to look behind him and see broken people, that he's crushed. Like as leaders, Jesus teaches us that as leaders, we are leading to bless the people. This guy looks around and he sees his people are starving to death and he knows it's his fault. And I'm sad about this, but I've done it and you have too. And instead of this man taking responsibility for the state of Israel and saying, today I repent on this wall in front of all of you. Today I repent before God. Instead of taking responsibility, instead of repentance, this man only does what he knows to do. He lets his anger get sideways. He deflects it and blames Elisha and God. This is God's fault in Elisha's. So now he's determined to kill Elisha. He sends a messenger after Elisha to go kill him. And Elisha knows that the messenger's coming, but Elisha also knows from God that the king's not far behind him. Maybe the king changed his mind. Maybe the king wanted to stay his hand. We don't know, but I need you to see what happens next. Look with me in verse... 32, now Elijah was sitting in his house where the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a messenger ahead. But before he arrived, Elijah said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him. In other words, Elisha knows that the king's going to change his mind and come running behind the messenger. So here comes the messenger with the sword. While he was still talking, and the messenger came down to him, and the king said, While he was still talking, and the messenger came down to him, the king said, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? In other words, the messenger has the message from the king, and the message from the king is this Elisha, the situation we're in right now, we know it's from God. In other words, probably punishment. God has seen who we are. Why should I wait on God any longer? God's not going to save us when we made this mess. When we rejected him in 1 Samuel 8, 
When we, when we called Jezebel, when we raised up Baal prophets, when we slaughtered God's prophets, this, I know that this is judgment from God. Why would I wait any longer for God to rescue us? He's not. He's sending the judgment. What kind of God would judge me and then relieve the judgment in the midst of my suffering? Our God will. So the messenger stands at the door and says, I know that this is judgment from God. I'm not going to wait on God any longer because I know he's not going to help us. We're here to kill you. We're done with this prophet. We're mad. I'll call on help from somebody else. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Look with me now in chapter 7. And so Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a saya of the finest flour will sell for a shekel. And two sayas of barley for a, a shekel at the gate of Samaria. I know it's been a minute since you went to Corner Market and bought a saya of anything. So let me just offer you a quick translation. Today, in the, in the midst of siege, when everybody's starving to death, you could cash in your life savings just to buy a little bit of food. Elisha's saying, I'm telling you, tomorrow that will be so turned around. Your situation will be so reversed that tomorrow you'll be giving it away. Tomorrow it's going to be, it's going to be the cheapest it's been since you can remember it. You're going to be the, buying the finest flour, and it's, going to be, and it's going to be on the sale rack. Now, here's the situation. This is impossible. You might expect that Elisha would walk out and start breaking bread and feeding. That's not how he does it. This is God showing his sovereign hand over the nations. This is God reversing the world situation. This is God saving and rescuing people that rejected him. But I need you to see this next step. Verse 2, there is one doubter in the room. Let me introduce you quickly to a messenger who has no faith. The officer on whom the arm the king was leaning, on whose arm the king was leaning, said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, how could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, said Elijah, but you will never eat any of it. Now, for the sake of time, let me tell you what happens. There's four lepers outside the gate of Samaria, outcast lepers. Can't get in the city. It's hopeless in there anyway, but they're lepers and outcasts. They're starving outside the city. They'd be starving inside the city. One of the lepers has an idea. Look, let's just go to the Aramean army and turn ourselves in. They might kill us, but if they kill us, it's faster than starving to death. And if they don't kill us, if they make us slaves or something, at least then we have some hope. So let's do this. Let's go turn ourselves in. So about dusk, four lepers go to the Aramean camp, and they're going to turn themselves in. They don't have much hope, but who knows? It's better than nothing. When they get there, they're surprised. Here's what they find. There's nobody at camp. The pots are still cooking. Gold and treasures left in the tents. Horses are still tied to trees. The tents are up. Everything is left and the army is gone. Now, you've got to read the story this afternoon for yourself, but the Bible tells you that that God let them hear the sound of hoofbeats and they thought the Hittites or the Egyptians had been hired by Israel and were descending on them and were about to, to destroy them, to sneak up on them, to sabotage them, to attack them. And so in paranoia and great fear, God had this army of Syrian warriors, these Arameans, run past the Jordan. They dropped things along the way because they were running so fast. So these lepers are practicing their speech. They're, they're going to turn themselves in. When they get there, the tents are empty. They eat. There's food. They eat. 
They find some gold, they, they grab it, they look around, they go hide it. They go back in another tent, find some more treasure, go hide it, and then it hits them. Hey, here we are at nighttime plundering this empty. We're going to be in big trouble tomorrow if the sun comes up and people find out. And the Bible says that we kept this day of good news. That's the gospel. Good news to ourselves. Shouldn't we go tell somebody? So they go back to the gatekeeper and they say, hey, gatekeeper, there's nobody in their camp. I, I, it's empty. Well, the king thinks he's being tricked. So he says, okay, okay, we're not falling for this one. See if you can find any horses left. And there were horses left because the kings don't suffer as bad as the folks. The horses were still eating fine. So they find a few horses and they send, they send a couple of messenger scouts out on horseback. Sure enough, the camp is empty. They keep going. And they come back and they say, y'all, these people crossed the Jordan. They are gone home. And they were dropping their stuff along the way. We have no idea what on earth terrified them so badly. God did. But I can tell you that they're not here. The army is gone. So the, the messenger that had no faith, the king says, go open the door for the gate. So he goes to open the gate. And the people rush out to get the food. And they're so excited to find all the food for the Arameans. A table laid out by God in front of them. They're so excited to feast and have their lives saved. That bless their heart while he's standing there trying to control traffic. They trample the brother and he dies. Sure enough. Sure enough, God, who'd been rejected by these people, God, who would not answer, right? He did answer. And he saved the very people that insulted him. He reached out his hand and delivered his people. But this guy who had no faith in him, who could only insult a prophet, did not live to see it. Sad. So what do we do about that as believers? First of all, I want to ask you, are you one of these characters? Are you the bad king making war? Are you leading your family or your workplace or school with such arrogance and pride that you're just exerting your dominance and your strength? That you're not loving the people you lead? You're not a servant leader right now? You're not, you're not loving God and loving your neighbor? You're just trying to make your name great. And you're looking behind you and your family's a wreck and you're a wreck and your life's a wreck and you're ready to stop doing it the wrong way, the world's way. Brother, welcome to church. Man, take up your cross, die to yourself, follow Jesus, be forgiven, and lead differently. Welcome to the kingdom. Maybe you're this woman with no hope. Maybe right now you're in a moment where you look up and you see there's no hope for you. No leader cares for you. Nobody's rescuing you. Nobody's watching you. You have so given yourself over to the world's way of thinking. You're thinking like they are, acting like they are. You are broken at how far you've fallen. Sister, look up. There's a God that sees you and loves you and he wants to turn your situation around in a moment. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen addicts find sobriety in the abundant life. I saw Paul the apostle stop persecuting Christians became the greatest apostle. I have seen God change hard hearts. And you have too. So don't think God can't turn your life around when you turn to him. I'm not talking about money and wealth and fame. I'm talking about the abundant life in Jesus. I'm talking about peace for the first time in your life. If you're the woman without hope, you're not going to find it at the king. You're going to find it in Jesus. Are you the messenger with no faith? Are you the brother that sits here and you say, yeah, well, God can't do that. God doesn't work like that anymore. God doesn't do things like that anymore. God's not watching. God doesn't see. Gang, I, whether we're talking about God moving Chris and hope to a new place of ministry and what will God do with us, or whether we're talking about what's God going to do in your family, 
or whether you're looking at your life situation, I don't know how to, I don't know how to parent from here, or your kids and I, I don't, I don't know how to finish from here. I said, if you're looking up and you, you're tempted to be that messenger with no faith who says, oh, God can't, God won't, God doesn't, then I don't want you to be the one who misses what God does. I'm telling you that God was good, is good, and will be good. That God is the hope of our church and God is the hope of your life story. And I'm begging you, put your hope in Him. Hold enough faith to Him that when He does something great, you'll be there to see it. Please don't be left out. I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm talking about the presence of God in your life. Don't be left out because you stood on the sidelines as a condescending doubter, as a mocker. And follow God into the next journey of faith. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're in a rut. Follow God into the next journey of faith. Do not be the messenger with no hope. And finally, gang, my favorite characters, these four lepers, outcasts, beggars, zero status. And yet they just find a little bit of good news. They're not smarter than anybody, stronger than anybody, better than anybody. They just found the food. They just stumbled on a good God taking care of his people. And all they know to do is go, go tell somebody. Brother and sister, if you've been redeemed by Jesus, you've got good news to share with the lost world. One of my favorite definitions of evangelism is, listen, all we're doing in evangelism, we're not better people or good people trying to tell bad people. what. No, 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 no. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Jesus bring, is the bread of life and eternal life. And maybe you are the person who has the testimony. You're the one that God's worked in. You are the walking miracle. Would you share your story? doesn't mean you're smarter or better. It just means that God's worked in your life. I want to invite the praise team to join me on the platform. And as they do, I want to make my last application for this sermon. If you miss everything else, I want you to see this one thing about the story. Forget the characters and the people for a minute. Look behind the scenes and see God for just a second. This is a God who was rejected by this nation. And nonetheless, this is a God who still saved them and redeemed them. Because I, I need you to see God's heart and character. Is he an angry judge? Is he mad at his people? Is he trying to prove points? Or is he trying to offer discipline that leads to repentance and salvation? This is a God that's more patient than I would ever be. And then... I recognize that the character of this God who rescues his people, even in the moment of their rebellion and stubbornness and rejection and sin, the character of that same God, that is the heart that is pounding in Jesus when rejected by his people, crucified by his high priest in Sanhedrin, he has come to redeem his people. I just need you to see that, listen, if you are looking around and you say, there's no, there's no way through this, there is no way forward, there is no hope. I need you to recognize that, yes, there is. Because there's a God in heaven who can turn our lives around in a minute. There's a God in heaven who loves you, who has good character towards you. And I want you and I to bend our knees to him. And I want you and I to follow him for the rest of our lives. I'm calling for obedience. I'm calling for faith. Man, I wish I could have Elisha's glasses to see what God can do and believe it. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to respond to the sermon. Just like we always do, we're going to, we're going to stand and people are going to sing. But the altars are open. If you need to come in and this moment exert your faith and ask God's favor on our church, on your life, on the Smith family, then I want, come use these altars. Man, pray and let God move. Second, if there's anybody here in the sanctuary today 
that you came to church today. You're chasing God. You're looking for God, but, you, but you've never met Him. But today you're ready to give control of your life to God to be saved. Man, would you, would you do that? Would you give your life to Jesus, be saved, and let us celebrate your baptism? It would be our honor to walk with you as you walk with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we bend our, our, our heads. We humble ourselves before you. We confess your sovereign strength over us. You control us. You're good. God, you've watched us generation after generation mock you or laugh at you, reject you or run from you. And yet, Lord, you've stayed patient and wise and good. Even in judgment and mockery, Lord, you bring redemption and rescue. So, Father, today I ask that your Holy Spirit would give hope where there is none. God, that we would grow in faith, that overnight, Lord, you'd show your hand in each one of our lives, God, that those of us that look up and see no hope, that you would show it to us in living color. God, that you would bless us and make your name great 